All right. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn in it. We're in Second uh, Corinthians this morning. Um, if you're new to church or churchy stuff, all that really means, I don't know if you, you, you're familiar or very familiar with the Bible. Um, I think a lot of times we can come to think that the Bible kind of dropped down from heaven. It really didn't. The Bible is a book that was written over the span of thousands of years, honestly, um, uh, from, from the time at least of, of Moses, which was quite a long time ago, to about, well, before the turn of the second century, uh, depending on where, when you date uh, John's works. And, so, and, and it was written by a bunch of different people. And so when it says 2 Corinthians, what that means is that it is the second letter written by uh, an early Christian by the name of Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. So in other words, the second letter written to Corinthians, a bunch of people. All right, so if you're unfamiliar with that, that's, that's what that means. I think sometimes uh, churchy folks can forget that that's, it's really weird. Most of what we do is really weird. Church is weird. Church is weird. Where else do people go where they, they uh, sit in seats, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, sing along with someone who's up front, listen to someone talk to them for, I mean, it could be, a, you know, 45 minutes, who knows what Rick's going to do today. And then, um, you know, bow our heads and, and pray all together and then come up and call something a meal that's basically a little morsel of sometimes cake, which is great, uh, but bread and this little thimble full of juice or wine. And that's weird. Okay. This is weird. Let's be honest. It's weird. It's something people have done for 2000 years. So I guess in that sense, it's not weird, but in terms of your neighbors and your friends, weird. Okay. So we're in second Corinthians, um, chapter eight this morning. And this is, and I know some of you are so thankful for this. This is the last week when we talk about generosity. We talk about uh, Christian giving. And so if you're visiting this morning and you hoped that one time that you come to church, you would not be hearing something about money, I'm sorry. You should have come next week. But instead you came this week. My hope is that we'll talk about it a little different than maybe you're uh, used to. And so if you have your place in 2 Corinthians 8 or in your bulletin, look, go ahead and stand. That's our habit here. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 15. For those of you who don't know, I, I was a music major my freshman year. I was a trombone player. As I get older, I find I play trombone with other things. This is not good. Okay. All right. This is God's word. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you might by his poverty become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment... This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also a desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. 
For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is God's word given so that we would flourish. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, you have been faithful over the span of the eight weeks, the seven previous and this week, uh, that we've talked about money to, um, to work in our hearts and maybe to challenge us. And I, I just ask that you would do even more so today. Not a person in this room can say uh, that, that they've arrived when it comes to this because no one can outgive the grace of God. And so we ask uh, that by your spirit, you would be working in us, change us, change us, change us, change us. We want to become more like Jesus. And so we ask that you would work in that because we have so far to go. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, There we go. So we have spent uh, in this series on generosity. And if you're um, if you're, this is your first time hearing any of these messages, uh, I'm not going to uh, make a plug, but in some sense I'm going to make a plug that maybe if um, you've been burned, especially if you've been burned by churches when they talk about money, go back and listen to some of these on our podcast. Because we've spent a lot of time laying a foundation, and I think that's necessary. Because our culture and our day and age and the, the age of kind of immediate mass media uh, has brought to light multiple financial abuses of churches and just general ministries. And so that, that makes any time someone stands up in church and talks about money, suspect, right? And then, of course, you have our, our generally autonomous understanding of the individual. And so it's very difficult to communicate the Bible's vision for money without a ton of misunderstanding. So in light of that, let me review a bit of where we've been. Okay, the first several weeks had to do with uh, who we are, who God is, why we're here, whose stuff it is, all that stuff. And then the last three weeks, we saw that money is one of those things that we, that people, we, tend to replace God with. That sounds weird. We're like, no, 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 we don't. But, but when we begin to think and we begin to realize that if money is something that we think is going to give us a status or is going to make us safe or is going to satisfy us, and if not money, the stuff that money brings, then you realize it's something that you have replaced God with because we're made for God and that's what we're made to find those things in. Then two weeks ago, we saw that we often look to money to satisfy us, to keep us safe. And like I just said, Bible says it cannot. We're made to find our satisfaction in God. And last week, we looked at the notion of stewardship, right? That, that's a churchy word, but isn't really a churchy word. The idea that everything we have is God's. And if we are stewards of it, that means that we are supposed to first and foremost think about it in terms of his uh, desires. You know, the... the um, I, would, I don't know if we should call him a reformer. I mean, he was just after the Reformation, right? Right around the time of the First Great Awakening. John Wesley, kind of the founder of the Methodist movement, um, used to put it this way. He said, it's not how much of my money I'm going to give to God. It's how much of God's money I'm going to keep for myself. And that's a, that's a really paradigm-shifting way of thinking about it. Uh, but is closer to what the Bible 
would say. And now, today, we come to the very pragmatic, what does it mean to be a giver? And it's important that we hear those things, and we hear those other things that I just said first, because that's where all this begins. So, if we jump right into this, it's going to be very easy for us to misunderstand what's being said, okay? So, this morning, what we're, what we're simply going to look at, and there's an outline in your bulletin, is we're going to look at what it is, in other words, what generosity, what Christian giving is, and where it comes from. It's so real simple, two points. Well, two big points, all right? Where, what it is and where it comes from, okay? So let's begin with what Christian giving is. So we're going to talk about four aspects, and what we, as we do, I may be pulling in some other passages, so if you, if you are a note taker, you might want to jot those down. If not, don't worry about it. Um, but this passage is pretty core to the entire discussion. So then, the first thing that Christian generosity is, is spiritual. Look down at verse 7. Paul says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay? Now, before we go any further, let me give you a, a glimpse into the life of the church of Corinth. Okay? The church in Corinth was a hot mess. I know that we, especially if you've been a Christian a, lot, a while, you probably idolize the early church. Man, we got to get back to the early church, blah, blah, blah. This church, this early church was a hot mess. As a matter of fact, most of the early church was a hot mess, okay? Um, and, and so they're just like us. Uh, and, and so, but the, the Corinthian church was a model for what we would call uh, victorious Christian living. They were all about these flashy spiritual gifts. They were uber experiential. They were big time manifestation of the spirit church and they knew it. They loved their spiritual gifts. They loved teaching. They loved knowledge and basically anything flashy, right? Paul talks a lot in this letter about things like speaking in tongues, which we're not going to get into today, uh, healing, all these different things. And they loved it. And in fact, Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ in this letter, that the church is a body made up of different parts. And the reason he says that is so that the people in the church understand that your flashiness doesn't mean you don't need those without the flashy. As a matter of fact, that chapter of the Bible that always gets read at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, is actually about living together as the church not about loving your spouse. Sorry. Just like spat on everyone's wedding service. I'm sorry. I had it in mind too. As a matter of fact, I read it during my wed- the, the service that I do. But it does give an adequate, or a, a, not just adequate, like a lovely picture of what love is. But the context is how we love each other as the church, not how you love each other as married people. Okay? So Paul begins talking about giving especially this offering that he's collecting from all the churches in the region, by talking about giving as a gift of the Spirit. Hmm. A giving is a spiritual gift. And what that means is that God's Spirit works in Christians to make us generous with the money that we've been entrusted with. Now, again, if you've been a Christian a while and know a little bit about spiritual gifts, what you're tempted to think is, well, clearly, I don't have that gift and therefore, I don't have to do this, right? That's what we tend to think. And that's because of some confusion over what it means to be gifted. Because you see, we tend to think that a gift, to, to have a gift means that something comes completely natural to you. 
and doesn't ever need any work. That it just kind of flows out of you freely and spontaneously like some great romantic poem that just Lord Byron just starts speaking and it just floods out of his mouth. And so we believe that someone who is gifted as an evangelist, in other words, someone who has the gift of evangelism would never get nervous about sharing their faith with someone else. Someone that's gifted in, in, in teaching or gifted in speaking, like they just get up and it just kind of, there's no preparation needed. It just, they open their mouth and it's like the spirit of God just bleh, comes out onto the crowd, right? Now that is uh, bonkers. Number one. Okay. That, that idea is crazy. Uh, in addition, what is also crazy is that because we think that those things come so ubernaturally, that therefore, if it doesn't come ubernaturally to you, you're not gifted and therefore you have a pass. Again, not what it says, okay? Uh, here's what I mean by that. Jesus told all of his church to go and make disciples of all nations, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go, the, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations. He said that to the church... There are some he has equipped to be more fruitful in those endeavors for whatever reason. But that doesn't mean that all the rest of us are like, well, we'll leave that up to those people. I'm going to be over here doing my thing. In the same way, he called all of us to learn about God's word. He calls all Christians to be able to give a reason for the faith that is in them, for the hope that is in them. But some have been gifted to teach. But just because someone has a gift in that area does not mean it doesn't take work. I study a lot. I don't know if you guys, like, Kent studies a lot. I got this cool library app. It's really cool. I really like it. You can uh, take pictures of the barcodes of your books and get them in there. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? Like, that's weird. It is weird. I have over a thousand volumes in my library, which I'm super excited about all at my office. I want you to know that I've read three quarters of them. If you count the ones that aren't reference books, I've read all of them. And I don't say that as a boast because that just means I have no life. What I am saying is, there's a lot of work that goes into what we do. It's not like, it just happens. This just happens, obviously. No, no, no. It's a lot of work to do what you're gifted at. And this is why Paul tells the Corinthians to see to it that they excel in this act of grace. That word excel means literally to be filled with, fill yourself with this act of grace. It is a grace. It is a gift of the Spirit Something that comes with being a Christian, but it is also something we seek to exercise. So, here's the big question. How do you know if you have the spiritual gift of generosity, of giving? That seems weird. One, because we don't see giving as spiritual. Two, because how would you even know that? Well, it's actually rather simple. Some of us have been given more. Like Jesus said last week. Some of us have been given more so that we can give more. You see that? More has been given to us so that we can give more. 
That is part of what it means to have, to be gifted of God in this area. So it's, it's spiritual. But that leads us to the second principle. That Christian generosity is intentional. Look down at verses 10 and 11. Paul basically says, complete what you began. So, if you go a little further back in 2 Corinthians, what you're going to find is that Paul is taking up an offering. And it is a special offering that he is taking up to relieve the, uh, for, for uh, famine relief. Because the churches in Judea, what, what we call Israel, that area, um, are going through a famine and they're in, they're in trouble. And so he has, he's gotten this capital campaign started a while ago. He's given this church instruction about setting aside money on the first day of the week. That would be today. And now he's saying, in this way, complete what you started. And this is important because, again, I, don't, I know it's probably part of our Western philosophical heritage, but I think it also has to do with, I don't know, something that has just come up in the church probably in the, in the rise of kind of the, the great awakenings in the, in the 18th century. This idea that anything spiritual happens spontaneously. That if it's spiritual, it must just happen. And any kind of like thought behind it, study, preparation, intentionality, somehow makes it of man instead of, of God, right? So if that's where you've come from, let me, let me kind of blow a little bit of holes in that, okay? First and foremost, um, if you read the Old Testament, and I know we don't read the Old Testament, but if you read the Old Testament, there's an awful lot of intentionality that goes into pretty much everything. God lays out plans for how to build his tabernacle, which is like this tent where people would worship. He lays out meticulous plans about how it's supposed to be done. There's meticulous planning into how to line up. Look at, I know we all learned this in elementary school. How to line up as tribes when walking with the tabernacle. You have to walk in a certain way with certain people in the front, certain people on the sides, and all this meticulous planning. Paul has meticulous planning into where he wants to go and how he's going to do the ministry he's going to do. It doesn't make it not spiritual. There's intentionality. Christian giving is supposed to be intentional. Paul says, don't just desire or, or will to do this, but do it. If you've never given money before, like, and I don't mean like, you know, the, the firefighters come to your door and, and do their thing and you're like, okay, and you pull out your wallet or you write a check. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about consistent, regular giving. If you've never done that before, you have to have a plan. It's not like it just happens. What we are tempted to do, though, is to say, Rick's right. As soon as I get a little bit more, I'll put together a plan. As soon as I have a little bit more, I'll have that space. And I got whew, a little breathing space, and then I'll be able to give. But you know that's like a load of bunk, right? We always fill the vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so does our spending. We always seem to fill out that extra space we have in our monthly finances, which means you have to plan to give. So let me get very practical for a moment. Remember what I said just a second ago that Paul told, had already instructed them to put aside money on the first day of the week, right? First day. 
seems like a throwaway line. We don't even think of it like, oh, Sunday, okay, so we're supposed to give on Sundays. Eh, it's not a, that's not the intention behind Paul saying this. Do you realize that putting aside money on the first day of the week would have meant that they are putting aside money before they know what their week's expenses are? Huh. And, and when I say that, you have to understand, these are not like, they don't get paid twice a month kind of people. These aren't like you get your monthly paycheck. or you what. These are week to week, sometimes day to day laborers. And what he's saying is, he's telling them to put aside their money on the first, their intended gift on the first day of the week, before you know what the week is going to hold, before you know whether or not the bottom's going to fall out of the economy, before you know all of this stuff, this is to be a first expense. And I know that stinks because most of us see our Christian giving as like an optional bill, right? It's like at the end of the month, we're like, I mean, maybe I can give a little bit or ah, uh, I could use a little bit more cash flow in the old checking account. And so we kind of give up on it. But Paul is saying, this is supposed to be first. Paul says this is a first principle, a first expense. So what does that mean practically? I've said this before, but I'm going to keep saying it. Three little words. Three little words that will help reframe how you understand how we are to do finances. And when I say we, I don't mean you. I mean you and I, us. Like we. Give, save, and live. Okay? We give first, then we plan to save, and then we live on what's left. And I know it's like, Rick, that is impossible. It's not impossible. It might be improbable right now, given your budget, or whatever you call it. But it's not impossible. Okay? You plan on how much you will give, then you adjust the rest of your spending accordingly, not the other way around. Okay? So, it's spiritual, it's intentional. Third, it's proportional. Okay, so, so what does this mean then? What, how much am I supposed to give? That's the big question, right? Look down at verses 12 to 13. Paul says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he doesn't have, okay? So what Paul is doing here is he is affirming a consistent message in all of scripture, all of the Bible about giving. And that is that it is to be proportional to what we have, not giving out of what we don't have. And this, is, this has been, the idea of spending money you don't have is not new, but it's, way more widespread than it's ever been before, right? The idea that most of us, if not all of us in this room, have not just a little bit of debt, but like a lot of debt. At the very least, if you're a homeowner, you have a lot of debt. Now, you may say, well, I could sell that tomorrow. And yeah, you could. But the point is, is that almost no one today lives strictly according to their means. Strictly. If according to your means means at the end of the day, you can write a check for everything you pay for and there's no outstanding balance. There's like none of us do that. I mean, there's maybe a couple people. I see somebody laughing over here and I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's one guy. It's always the one guy. And you're like, screws up my whole illustration. But the point is this, Okay. Let me, let me flesh this out before we, we, get, we, we get here, okay? 
Okay, the, the idea is that what we give is to be proportional. That is why um, there's never, there, every time you hear in the scripture talk about giving, it's not a set amount. It has to do with, a, with some kind of portion, okay? But before we get to that, let me hit this notion of giving being acceptable. Did you catch that? Where he says it's acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. This is a really big deal. If you checked out, come back to me, check back in, because this is a really big deal. Because this is a fairly broadly misunderstood thing among Christians and non-Christians alike. Christians, listen to me, Christians do not give to the church. Like, Rick, I write my check to, I, I know. But you're not giving to the church. You give to God. What that means is, you're not giving because the church really needs it. You give because God has given it to you. If we gave because the church really needed it, can someone tell me how much sense it would make for me to have like the automatic bank draft every month? Because I give, just like y'all do. If, if it's like, it's going to the church, like, what am I doing? Laundering money? Like, what is this? Like, no, it doesn't make sense if it's giving to the church. You remember back a couple weeks ago when Jesus said that we can't serve money in God. And then we looked at Hebrews 13 and, and we saw that we look to money to keep us safe. That is always a danger in our hearts, which is why giving is part of worship. It's an act of worship. It is, it is in a sense, a kind of declaration to ourselves, to others, that we don't believe money saves us. That it does not act as our God. Now, okay, Rick, but what about the proportion? Well, let me get specific. So, our Old Testament reading this morning, right, that Lily did beautifully. Did beautifully, okay? Don't worry about that. Ask Mrs. Gilmartin about her last time reading scripture in front of church and how that went. Because she'll tell you a great story. She's like, I'm never doing this again, all right? Um, but our Old Testament reading this morning talked about the tithe, right? I, tithe is another churchy word that we tend to think whatever it is we put in the plate or whatever. No, that's not it at all. In, in that day, a tithe would be brought into the storehouse of the temple um, and, and it, it was used as a means of, of um, funding and ministering to the, the, those that were doing, for lack of a better term, professional religious work. They were the ones that, that tithe is brought into the storehouse. In our day, we would call it the church. And the tithe is the first 10% of your income. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says and, and, and is that that is the baseline for Christian giving. In other words, it's a starting point. And I don't say that because some of us in this room are like, uh, I know, I'm going to get to that. Just hold on. I've been there too. But it's the starting point. Now, here's the kicker. We think that is huge. We think that's outrageous even. Right? But listen to me. Remember what we said last week that everything we have is God's and we're basically his money managers? Like he, he sends us and we're supposed to be like an investment manager. How would you feel? Okay? Some of you are in, in this line of work. Some of you aren't. But how would you feel if you found a job in which the person who was giving you money said, you can keep 90% of the commission off of this. I just want 10% back. You'd be like, sign me up. Best job in the world. 
Hold on, you're going to give me money and you're going to say, I get to, I get to have 90% of it. I got to put it to work. I'm going to do 90% of it. You're going to get 10? Yeah, okay. I'm good with that. Now, some of you in this room, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, are thinking to yourself, well, Rick, tithing is not taught in the New Testament. Fair enough. Okay, three answers to this. Um, I know this is not true in every church, so maybe this is what's going to make you go find one that believes this. But we actually believe that all of the Bible and not just the New Testament is applicable to Christians. Like all the Bible is God's story. All of the Bible is God's word, not just the New Testament. And so unless there is something in the New Testament changing something from the Old Testament, and there's lots of that, by the way. I had some bacon this morning. It was lovely, right? I had some sausage as well. Love that pork. Love it. Jesus changed that, right? Old Testament, you couldn't do that. New Testament, you can. Some ceremonial things, um, washings, uh, you know, covenant signs, things like that. They have been changed. But unless something from the, in the New Testament changes something from the Old Testament, it's normative. Okay, so that's first. Second, you know, one of the times when Jesus was giving the Pharisees a hard time, um, and he did this often, um, it was because he said, he, he said, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe 10% of everything you have, including the herbs. I don't know how many of you have tithed from your herb garden lately. I have not, okay? I guess if you want 10% of our basil and rosemary, come over, I'll cut you some. But that's, he said, you tithe from everything, including your herbs, but you don't give to your, this other stuff, especially when your parents are in need, you're like, I have given to God, I can't give to you. And he says, here's what he says. He doesn't say, stop tithing. He says, you should have done the one without neglecting the other. In other words, he reaffirms it, okay? So first, Old Testament is part of God's word. Second, Jesus affirms it. Lastly, it's more of a principle idea. Giving in the Old Testament was a response to God's grace, right? As it is today. Now, Christian, if you're not a Christian, just listen in. But Christian, have you received more grace or less than the people in the Old Testament? Do you have more knowledge of God's plan of redemption or less? Do you have more of an experience of God's spirit or less? So if that's the case, if you've received more, then maybe the issue is not, is tithing commanded? It's, oh no, more than tithing might be. Eh, we'll get back to that in a minute. Practically, here's the thing. If you haven't done percentage giving, if you've never been taught, and I, I know this, I know this because I've been doing this now for a while, and I know as people come in, and people come in, whether it's from Christian traditions or not from Christian traditions, a lot of times what they say is, I've never heard anything on this. Pastors are really scared to preach on this. I'm not. I don't know why. Maybe I'm a jerk. Probably. Okay? But we have not been taught Christians have not been taught what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. So if you've never heard this, if this is something you've never been challenged to do, I'm going to challenge you today to pick a percent of your monthly pre-tax income and begin giving it. And I don't care whether that is 10, 7, 5, 2, 1. It could be 1%. I mean, 1%. You spend more than that on Starbucks. You do. Do the math. Way more. It could be 1%. The point is not the amount. 
The point is the practice. You get to a percent and then you start trying to readjust to find yourself more in line with what the scriptures say, okay? To get to that point, but get started, okay? If you need help with that, our deacons would love to help you. And I don't mean to come in and shame you. I mean to help you figure out, to think through, get another set of eyes on those numbers, help you figure out how to do that. So, that brings us to our last principle, okay? That it's sacrificial. And I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're going forever. Just stay with me. We're almost done. Giving is sacrificial. Look down at verse nine. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Here's the thing. In this passage, though we're using it to talk about giving in general, broadly speaking, we need to understand that Paul is not speaking of regular, normal giving. That is assumed. What Paul is talking about is additional stuff. Because he's taking a gift, not to, not to help support the work of the church in Corinth, but he's taking a gift from the Corinthians to go help those that are in need, Christians in need, in Judea. That's why he illustrates the issue with Jesus. So what is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about an exchange of circumstances. You see that? Jesus becomes poor so that we might become rich. He was rich. He becomes poor so that we, though poor, might become rich. Now, of course, he doesn't mean materially. Say that again. He's not talking materially. I I know there are places that preach that. That's crazy. That's clearly not what he's doing. He's speaking metaphorically, but the point remains the same. So right before this passage, right before we got here, Paul's talking about the Macedonian church. And the Macedonian church would be like, um, well, it's the one in Macedon. It's like northern. It's, it, it's up f- further from where Corinth is. And he's talking about the fact that they were actually giving out of their own poverty. And then he says in verse 7 that he wants Corinthians to excel in this grace of giving. And then he talks here about the grace of Jesus who became poor. Here's what this means. You and I are to base and judge our giving, our giving, not someone else's giving, our giving on Jesus. Not on your neighbor, not on how much you think you give to keep the church running, because like I said, you're not giving to the church. Church will always be okay. It always has been okay. It's based on Jesus. Paul's saying, you want to know what kind of generosity is appropriate for the Christian? Look at Jesus. So what does this mean practically? This is what this passage would teach us. If your giving, look at me, look at me, this is a hard one. If your giving is not affecting your lifestyle, it is not sacrificial. Right? I think we know that, right? The idea of sacrifice, sacrifice means we're giving something up. And you're like, well, I could do a lot with that money. I know you could, but does it really affect anything? Or is it just like, I I don't even think about it. It's gone and I don't even think about it. And then I just, I do whatever I want with the rest. You know, some of you are like, Rick, I tithe. I know and thank you. Now look to Jesus. In the other reading that Lily gave us this morning, why did Jesus commend the widow? Why did he commend her? She dropped a little coin. It was like a penny. He commended her because what she was giving looked like what he gave. You 
cannot outgive Jesus. You can't. There's no chance. But we are supposed to be seeking to become more like him. And that means that there is not a single person in this room who does not have room to grow in this. I don't care how many zeros are on a check that you write. I don't care. I honestly don't. Has nothing to do with that. We all have room to grow, myself included. Now, what this means is that Paul is calling the Corinthians and us to a generosity that is not less than percentage giving. It cannot be less than that. But it is certainly more than that. Because Jesus did not tithe himself. He gave everything. So Christian generosity is spiritual, it's intentional, it's proportional, and it's sacrificial. That's what it is. Now where does it come from? Where does it come from? Stay with me, because I know, I know what's going on, right? I know, listen, I, was, I prepped this. So I know what's going on in me as I'm prepping this. And I get the sense that's probably, you're either trying to shut me off right now, trying to get on with Sunday, or you're trying to come up with reasons why this really doesn't apply to you, or you're trying to think of someone else in the crowd that really needed to hear this. I, stay with me, okay? You see, the reality is that some of us are fine with giving. We're fine with it. We give all the time. We have no problem. Money goes freely. But we're fine with it because of what we think it is doing for us. We think we can give to pay off God. We think we can give because we feel guilty and that will help us feel better. We think we can give because it makes us look good and gives us a great status. And we think that God is so thankful for the money that we give that he kind of overlooks all the other things. Listen to me. If your giving is to establish your own righteousness, that's a churchy word. If your giving is, is meant to make God like you or keep him liking you, I need to tell you something. It doesn't, it's not just that that doesn't work. <laughs> that would be fine. It doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work. That is sin. It's not just that it doesn't work. Because it doesn't. If you're giving, if your giving is out of a place of, I know the right thing to do, I'm doing the right thing, and God will at least leave me alone if I do it. It's not just that it doesn't work. That is sin. That is independence. It is saying, God, here's my stuff. We have an economic relationship. I pay you, you leave me alone. We good? He says, nope not good we're not good at all christian generosity comes from it sprouts from the gospel look look again at verse 9 why does paul include this stuff about jesus is it just because he's basically like let me show you a good example here's jesus go be like jesus has that ever worked for anyone okay or was it look jesus gave all you can at least give 10 percent. i know you may have heard that but is that really what paul is saying I'm not saying that there is not a place for an example here, but that's not why Paul includes it. He does it because of where our generosity must come from. It comes from the acceptance and security of the gospel. Here's what I mean. When Paul says that Jesus was rich, he does not mean materially. What he is alluding to was that Jesus was not just some cool dude. He was God the son, okay? If you're new to that, Christians believe that God exists in three persons. Kids, what are those three persons? God the... God the 
and God the good job. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And these three are in perfect, loving, unbroken relationship, in complete satisfaction. But Jesus became poor for us. What that means is the Bible is very clear that we are in a state of poverty. If that's rich, we are in a state of poverty. We are alienated from God. And so what Jesus did is he came and exchanged places with us. He left his place of fullness and richness and became poor. Doesn't mean he became human. It means he he received alienation from God. Hell. He did that on the cross so that through faith in him, we could participate in his wealth, his richness, that satisfaction, that reconciliation from or with God. Jesus exchanged circumstances. He took our poverty and we get his riches. Generosity has to start there. If you think that money keeps you safe, if you think it gives you satisfaction, if you think it's going to give you a status, can I tell you something? You will never be able to part with it because it will be too precious to you. It does too much for you. At least not much of it. But if you believe that Jesus has given you everything you need, then out of that can flow generosity. Because if Jesus has given you everything, there's nothing else that can give you anything. If we stay apart from Jesus, no matter how much we give, we are stuck in our poverty, trusting our money, and we'll never be free to give. It has to come from the gospel. So it comes from the gospel, but ultimately it also comes from a transformed heart. Last thing, look down at verses 8 and 9. This is so interesting. Paul says, I don't say this as a command, but to prove your love is genuine. What he means is, look, if you believe this about Jesus, and I know not everyone here does, but if you believe this about Jesus, if if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if your heart has been changed by the gospel, this will come. Do you see why he doesn't command the giving? Okay, he could. Means apostle. Apostle is another word for like early Christian leader, one who most Christians uh, in the early church, though people had their doubts about Paul at different times, but Peter said okay and everyone was, was on with it. But they're apostles, which means they, they kind of are understood as the ambassadors for Jesus. So he could have said, Look, I got to come down on you with the heavy. I'm sorry, but you need to do this. This is from the Lord. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And it's not because, listen to me, listen to me. It's not because that would just make him very legalistic, nor is it because he would be binding the conscience. No, he had every right to say that and he would be correct. He would be totally correct. He doesn't command it because he saw generosity as evidence of faith. This is why we say that giving, that generosity, is part of Christian discipleship. This is why at Holy Cross we're not afraid to talk about money. It's because we don't need your money. You need to be following Jesus in this. It's for you. We want this for you. Not something from you. If you think you can be a growing disciple of Jesus, but you don't give, you aren't generous... You are fooling yourself. I'm sorry. 
You're fooling yourself. How can you grow to be more, more like Christ who gave all if you aren't growing in the grace of giving yourself? And I know some of you right now are going like, well, I give my time and I give my talents, but that treasure, I just can't part. No, Paul is not saying, well, if you don't have enough, just volunteer more. He didn't say that. Most of the people in Corinth were not wealthy. The vast majority of them, there was probably one or two, and they met in their house. Everyone else, like, pretty poor. And he didn't say, you know, y'all get a pass, and by poor, trust me, I mean poor, not like what we consider poor. I mean, like, poor, hungry, can't eat, can't buy food, can't, no government assistance, like nothing. He's not saying, like, y'all get a pass, just give more time, volunteer more. You've got a great voice, can you sing for us? Okay? He's talking about giving. Our giving, our generosity in this way is a barometer of where we are at with Jesus. So this morning, friends, if you find that your money flows freely towards your wants and desires, but slowly, even grudgingly, towards Christ's mission through his church, then Paul is not saying, don't worry about it till you're cheerful, brother. You just gotta be a cheerful giver. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, check your heart. Has it been transformed by the radical generosity of Jesus? Has it? So let me ask a question. The average Christian in this country gives 2% of their income to charity, whether that's the church or not. 2%. 2%. What is crazy about this is how much God does with that. I know that you've, we've all heard the stories about how the church is in decline and blah, blah, blah. The evangelical church is not in decline. Churches that preach the gospel are not in decline. Okay? That is, I, I could show you tons of numbers. Not in decline. Churches that don't preach the gospel are in decline. We would go, it's probably better. Okay? Churches that preach the gospel are not in decline. God is doing crazy amounts with 2%. What would happen if every household in this, in this church determined not to be average Christians? Like we're not going to be average. Can I tell you something? I don't think you are average. I don't think you're average Christians. Not from what I've seen of folks in this church. I don't believe this church is average. So what would happen if we showed that? What would happen? What could God do? And stand in Augusta County. Because you see, when we've received the radical generosity of God through the perfect work of Jesus, our hearts are transformed and we are freed to give. Not out of compulsion, not out of like, I'm going to do this or get spanked, not to get something from God, but because in Jesus we've been given everything by God. And so because of that, we can be generous too. Do you pray with me? Lord, as we close this time uh, talking about generosity over the last... Um, several weeks just pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts some of us in this room like we we are very consistent givers and i pray you would challenge us to see where you've given us more so that we can give more to help people to to just show jesus to others for those of us that aren't there, I pray that you would, you would personally fight against the shame that tends to freeze us in our tracks and keep us from change. Because Jesus has covered our sin and covered our shame.
We're free to mess up and we're free to change those mess ups. And so I ask that you would work. That you would work so that your, your mission would go forward so that we as people would flourish because you made us to be generous. So Lord, enable and empower that generosity in us. We ask in Christ's name, amen.